Morning BHA. It is a podcast about barbershop recorded today. Richard Reeve in Queensland and there's Ash down in Perth. Two Australians talking about the greatest hobby on earth. Oh boy, it's swell to say. Good morning, BHA. Good morning, BHA. Hello, everyone. This is. <laughs> this is Good Morning BHA, all, where we talk about all things barbershop in Australia with a healthy dollop of international. Uh, may I say hello to my co-host uh, Richard Reeve. Hello over there in Queensland. Hello, Ash Schofield in Perth. It's lovely to see you. We've got a pretty exciting guest today, haven't we? We do. Today we are going uh, very international and a little less barbershop, but still very a cappella. Uh, <laughs> and we have a very, very special guest. He's a coach, a ranger, musical musical director, vocalist. You may know him from the sing-off or his work on Pitch Perfect, but most relevant to this particular podcast, he is a BHS Honorary Life member. The way it makes me feel. Come on. My name is Zeke Sharon and I'm the acapella guy. I have vocal produced Pitch Perfect, Pitch Perfect 2, the sing-off, have arranged over 2,000 songs acapella. Love what I do. And I want you to sing every day as well. And I want your friends to sing every day because it will bring you joy and it will bring you closer together. The topic of today's pop quiz is barbershop music. You've been seeing what's been going on lately in the barbershop world with Westminster, with the Ringmasters, with GQ, with the Love Notes. There's a whole new generation of young, vibrant barbershop. There is no reason that it needs to be thought of as being either old or male or white. Barbershop is everything. Find out what's been going on in the barbershop music of the new millennium because it's Aka awesome. Guys, if we're gonna do this right, there's gonna be a lot more crying, right? <laughs> because to make music is to share emotion. You guys are all very empathetic people. Your emotions are right out here and you need to have access to those emotions if you're gonna make real music. I'm just an overgrown choir nerd who's trying to change the world, spread harmony through harmony. Mr. Dick Sharon, hello! G'day, Oz! How's it? <laughs> <laughs> You've been working on that for a while. That's well, excellent. You, you, you guys have to know I'm I'm obsessed with Australia, and if I had no other commitments, I would just go down there, meet a nice Aussie girl, and no one would ever hear from me again. Uh, in fact, I was just down there for about a month, and I'm so in love with Australia. And I read a lot of the literature, and I do Tim Tam slams at home, which I, I actually figured out how to improve on my own. Uh, it's like Leibniz and and Newton developing calculus at the same time. But if you put them in the freezer, you can get more slam out of your Tim Tam before oh. it crumbles into... Huh? I hadn't even thought of See? that. Huh? No, I'm telling you. I, so this is important to me. I am Australian by blood. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> well, that's great. You know, a little bit crazy, a little bit shrimp on the barbie, a little bit crocodile <laughs> dundee, knife in my boot, and a little bit penal colony. You know, you put them all together. <laughs> that's basically me in a nutshell. <laughs> Uh, yes, we do hear that from most North Americans. As beautiful as North America is, uh, all of them who come down here look around and go, my goodness, I wouldn't mind just quietly yeah. staying here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, for me, it's actually, it's the people is my favorite thing about it. Northern California is plenty beautiful. Um, I feel at home there, there's kind of a, like a, a casualness and an openness and a warmth that I feel from all Australians that is superior to any other 
place on the planet. Like there's just, it's just a fun, wonderful place to be. And, and, uh, and I've, I've gotten that across the barbershop community in, in Australia as well as just the general community. I mean, the barbershoppers are great everywhere. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, they, in all vocal harmony people, like, you, you have to play well with others if you're going to make vocal harmony. So we live in this kind of idealized society. So our people are already awesome. But I'm telling you, when I'm down there, I can be in a fish and chip shop. I can be, you know, standing at a bus terminal. It doesn't matter where I am. The people are wonderful. Uh, and yes, we will talk further about harmony through harmony, won't we, Dick? In due course, during the, uh, during <laughs> the podcast. Indeed, without but, a doubt. Um, so, uh, just briefly before um, uh, we sort of get the officials started, um, um, just remind our, li- our listeners: you may recall, for those of you who were at the Panpax uh, Barbershop Convention in Sydney in 2017, uh, Dick, you were there running some workshops. Just uh, run through for people yes. what you're doing there. Well. I, you know, my normal uh, <laughs> tango, my normal two-step, working with groups, coaching, teaching a variety of different workshops. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, I don't remember which workshops I was teaching because I have a list of about 20 of them. Uh, any but, any uh, of the above? You were just... Uh, the, any any of the above. Awesome. Yeah, I'll I, send you a PDF if anybody's interested. Pick, <laughs> pick two from column A and two from column B. L- little from column out. A, little from column B. Um, I do exactly. remember you posting a... Um, uh, being excitedly posting a video uh, of... Uh, a female quartet there that sang uh, n- not only an original arrangement but of a, an original song composition, um, which was uh, which was amazing. So we'll try to find that and, and, and um, include a link from that. It's also one of my favorites. Oh yes, uh, I do remember quartet, that very well. It was a particularly good song. Yeah, like yeah, it, really catchy. You know, people are sometimes like there are great songs and then there are great a cappella songs, which is kind of people's, you know. It's it's like saying like oh she has a great personality. You know, it's like one of those like backhanded <laughs> compliments. <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure I'm going to get emails for that. He has a great personality too. I mean, we can, this is genders. Put, put that on the long list of emails you're going to get as a result of this exactly, podcast. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. By the end of this interview, my career will be over. I know it. I just know you're, it. Well, yeah, that's uh, what happens when people come on Good Morning BHA. It's the end of their that's career. That's what we like um, to do. Yeah. But, but, but bottom line, it's just a good song in general. Yeah. No, uh, and, I agree. Uh, so yeah, really? please share it really catchy um so mate um, going right back to the beginning um i understand you started choir singing when you were five so um tell our listener about um i mean to what extent do you remember that and uh, and to, to what extent do, do you you know you must have always known that you love singing well, I, I did love... First of all, hi, listener. What's your listener's name? <laughs> well, there's only one of them listening at a time. That's like, what I'm if I was listening to this, it would just be it. me. Rather, like, <laughs> to my knowledge, the, li- the listeners don't listen to this in packs, in groups. So Got it, per- okay. So oh, in, I see what you're saying. It's not a communal time, thing. Yes, he's listening to this. Ah, I thought you were commenting on the sum total of people that listen <laughs> yeah, well, to your but thanks for podcast being up one, on that. And yeah. I could be like... How goes it, Sydney? You know, that kind of thing. It's like, Sheila, Ash is losing nice his stuff yeah. there. So, uh, bottom line is, I supposedly sang before I could speak. And my parents were both really concerned because I would bounce my head on my pillow to sing and sing myself to sleep. Like, rhythmically kind of wow. bouncing my head as I sang. But it was very vigorous. And they were worried I was giving myself brain damage. Goodness which, me. there's no telling if I did not. Yeah. Um, the, the jury's out on that. But when I was five years old, my mom signed me up for the local church choir, and um, I loved it. I remember it very well. In fact, the director, who uh, has reti- since retired, but we're in touch on Facebook and whatnot, he tells all kinds of stories about me. And 
there was a particular miserere or whatever that he wanted to do with his adult choir every year and nobody could sing the high C. So he brought me in this little, you know, six year old towhead and uh, had me had me uh, sing the song with them. And then um, when I was seven years old, uh, this was the opposite, by the way, back then in the 70s, you know, growing up in the 70s, it was the opposite of what growing up is like now. You had no after-school activities, nothing scheduled. You ran around in the street with your with, with your friends, and you just went home for dinner. And I, I, it's amazing any of us are still alive. <laughs> but uh, my mom recognized, like, you know, you're doing really well in school, and it'd be nice for you to have maybe one activity. So she asked me, would you like to uh, join the San Francisco Boys Chorus or learn Mandarin Chinese? And I remember thinking, like, one of them sounds really fun, and one of them sounds like it's a lot of work. A lot of work, yeah. go with the singing one. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I've heard I, even high schoolers in China have difficulty reading a newspaper because you need to know over 10,000 characters, and there's no way to, to just look at a character and know how it's pronounced. So they can be brilliant and fluent in spoken Chinese, but the written language is so difficult. Anyway, long story short, I joined I the voice chorus and uh, loved it, obviously, um, and went from there. Do you remember what you loved about it? Uh, I loved singing. I loved harmony, particularly a cappella harmony, and um, and it all just seemed second nature to me. You know, being on yeah. stage and performing from such a young age, people asking me, "Do do you get stage fright?" And I don't really, because it was just what was normal. Um, and in fact, I was in operas like with Pavarotti, I did Turndot and I did Carmen and things like that. I remember my parents saying, "Oh, you have to talk to this amazing tenor, Pavarotti." You know. And uh, so I went and talked to him. Like, I didn't care. And, and uh, they asked me afterwards, what'd you think? What'd you think? And I said, he, he's a very nice man, but his English is not very good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he was really nice. This is before, like, the, he became a really big deal and everybody yeah, in America right. knew him and the movie Hey Giorgio and stuff like that. His English was horrible. Yeah. But he was so kind and sweet and an unbelievable voice. Wow. And I remember sitting and listening to it. I, I'd sit in a, a costume trunk in the fourth floor because... You had to stick around if you're in the choir until the very last act to sing from off stage. So I'd read little Encyclopedia Brown books and uh, just wait around, and and then uh, three hours later go back downstairs and sing some more. Yeah, that's cool. No, it's a, the reason I, I I pursue that a little is that I um, from a young age I just remember knowing that I wanted to sing, but particularly singing in an ensemble, um, and I just remember. Um, I'm told that I bugged my mother for years to join the primary school choir um, and so uh, yeah it's interesting when, when, when kids so young just organically gravitate towards ensemble singing I think it's really interesting um, well I'm, I'm surprised if anybody doesn't because no. humans sang before yeah. we could speak like yeah. you know with tones like you look at the animal kingdom birds and crickets and whales and whatnot th there are so many different creatures that use their voices melodically to communicate and so I think everybody is actually drawn towards it with the very, like, three people on the planet are tone deaf who actually can't just turn between different tones. And for everyone else, it's just, it's it's a learned skill that's that's innate to our being. So I think people like to and want to when they're young. It's just our perfectionistic culture, our Western sense of, of only the best should be doing something. Shut down so many kids when they're young if they're not singing on pitch really quickly and really easily, which is yeah. ridiculous. It's like... Yeah. But nobody should play basketball unless they're Michael Jordan. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you, you say that, Deke, um, because um, I, you know one of the things uh, that, that strikes us is how, as you're alluding to, how many people sort of don't sing or don't take part in the creative arts. Um, but just thinking of sports, though, you know we do have the, the first grade and second grade and third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade teams. You know, schools um, field 
teams with with all the you know crap players down the bottom uh, and so have you got a sense of uh, why that is well so sports has been made cool because there's a lot of money in sports there's money in advertising and there's also i mean it's really it's a it's a form of sublimated warfare let's be honest so Absolutely. there is some hard wiring yeah. within us yeah of course and by the way afl you know, footy, Aussie yeah. footy. It's my favorite favorite sport in the world. <laughs> Go Tigers! I'm 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 from the Richmond district in San Francisco. Yeah. I live in the Richmond district, so that's why I barracked for the Tigers. And um, we took it again this year. You know, we're number one. I'm not going <laughs> to rub it in if you're a, a Blues, <laughs> you know, supporter or something like that. Even though I'm tired of hearing they've won more than anybody else because it's been a long time. Anyway, I digress. We can go into footy later. Dig, um, I digress, Sharon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what were we? Even, oh, we were talking about sports. Okay, so so the 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 bottom line is we're hardwired to sing, and I think people want to sing, but especially boys um, are kind of told that the creative arts are something that's more effeminate or something that's less strong and virile and powerful, which is no, nothing could be further from the truth. Let me tell you, if you're in choir and you're in high school and you're good, you you stand, you're surrounded by women who adore you and fawn over you it's the best thing ever mm -hmm. um it's like being a guy in dance class i was the first guy ever in my high school to, to take dance and, and let me tell you being in, in a room with 45 women in, in leotards and you like the, the numbers they, they just work <laughs> out great so it's very similar in choir so I, you know but still there are some people in some cultures in fact there were a couple of choirs that i worked with in australia down there last month who um they were honest to me with me in high school that they, they they said like our, our school isn't as supportive of guys singing or um there's a stigma around it and I, I i don't think it's just sad i think it's shameful that that would be the case yeah no it's it, it's completely fascinating that the role of singing in the community obviously the enough uh, material for an entire different podcast but um we will continue thanks for those thoughts mate tell me about um uh, your your introduction to the barbershop quartet did you know about barbershop as a genre or the quartet before you took part in the music band and tell us tell us about your 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 music man experience well I, I think i knew what it was in the same way that you know what a bluegrass ensemble is sure or, sort of you know broadly. a jug band like yeah. You're, you're yeah exactly you know that it exists and yeah. if you saw if someone pointed to it you'd say what it was but i, I can't say that i was necessarily all that well versed in it um per se sure and then um my uh, my getting the role of the uh, lead in the barbershop quartet, the music man, changed everything. Because once you get tucked inside those tight harmonies, mm -hmm. it's all over. I mean, it's really it's fantastic. And I've I've heard, by the way, that there are a couple barbershoppers who quote unquote corrected the chords in the music man and uh, made them you know proper as it were as if Meredith Wilson didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> I, I think that's so shameful. The idea that like, there's, this is the wrong way to sing barbershop. Oh, please. It's the right way to sing barbershop is frankly, mostly triads and call and response and doing arrangements by ear. Cause that's the way the music was back in the late 1800s. Right. Plus it was an African American form. So yeah, I mean like there's just so many ways in which barbershop has changed and progressed over the years. 
I don't think there's any need to go into the Music Man and change Light of Rose. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, anyway. It's fasc- it's just, it's just to digress slightly, uh, Deke, because that's <coughs> the theme of the podcast, um, it's fascinating <laughs> you course. say that because, um, uh, as you allude to, Barbershop, like almost any other genre, is, is you know has been and continues to be somewhat of a fluid genre. Uh, but the, it, controversially, um, back in the day, that Barbershop had a bad reputation for actually changing the melody in order to, or it was, it was accused of changing the melody to fit into, um, you know, the artificial um, construct of what they wanted the the, the overall sound to be. Um, so yes, uh, Barbershop has um, has uh, had its critics over the years, but um, uh, so so that that experience was a good one. And I mean, obviously you you oh, know yeah. you, you you knew you know musical theatre, but now you you had a direct oh, yeah. link to the Barbershop Quartet as Whoa. well. I kept that quartet going all four years of high school and cool. I, you know, sang some Barbara Paul cat tunes and then went looking for other sheet music and we sang a little bit of doo but the reason I arranged music and learned how to arrange was simply because you couldn't find songs in four-part male voicing. Like, there was almost nothing published that was truly a cappella that wasn't like a Vaughn Williams male choral piece or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, not even Blue Moon was published. So I I was like, okay, I need to figure out how to do this. And and uh, by the time I graduated high school, I was fairly prolific arranging songs for my quartet. And um, in fact, won a, a Bay Area-wide arts competition with an arrangement of Bohemian Rhapsody for Four Part uh-huh. Male back oh. in 1985. Start easy, yeah. It's a hard enough song as it is, but, but now we figured out vocal guitars and all that stuff. I don't even know what I was thinking back then. I was like, why don't I just find the most difficult song in the world I could possibly arrange? Sometimes and, uh, approaching kinda... something with naivety means you don't have limitations and you just, just, you just find a way to make it work. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice way of you saying I was stupid, and yes, I was. I just dove, I dove right in. But no, it did, it did work, and, and um, it was wonderful to be able to sing popular music uh, with with just your voices I mean it's, Which, it's a great feeling and people forget that also anybody who's listening to this podcast who has a bit of a sense of like well barbershops you know the real thing and this kind of thing they're doing now is you know it's lesser in some way bottom line is barbershop was contemporary acapella of its day just like doo was 50-60 years ago we're just doing what everybody has done through human history which is to make music with our voices uh, in, you know in, in concert with other people and uh, it's the fact that music is more rhythmic now, so we need to weave vocal percussion in to make it make sense, or more instrumental sounds and different kinds of timbres and things like that. It, it, it doesn't make it any less valid. It just makes it more varied. It's interesting you say that because, it, yeah, a lot of uh, people consider barbershop, um, uh, 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 um, and in, actually in the barbershop society uh, back, at, you know, some decades ago, it was considered appropriate, you know, only to sing songs from uh, from from decades ago, from the eighteen eighties to sort of the nineteen twenties, um, and I, I'm actually really pleased that the sort of mainstream barbershop culture has is sort of in, in a way come full circle where it's you know um people are arranging uh popular songs of the day now into yeah, the barbershop style yeah. and uh it's which is exciting um mate uh, <coughs> we, we should we should keep uh moseying along so so tell me about your decision to study a degree in music w- 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 at university was was it sort of a given given how how much you loved singing and music through school and through your youth 
Well, okay, so I went to two different universities at the same time. I was getting a music degree at the New England Conservatory of Music, getting vocal jazz was my instrument, but I was studying what was called third stream studies back then. Now it's called contemporary improvisation. It's a study of, of uh, classical and jazz and different kinds of world musics with an emphasis on really um, ear training and development of personal style as well as lots of improvisational um, skills. And then I did all the classes for that and still felt like I needed more, so I switched over to theory and composition, and, and, but I had placed out of all the undergraduate theory and composition when I walked to the door, so then I was taking all graduate courses. Meanwhile, I wanted like a strong liberal arts degree, and I looked at Yale and Columbia, and these schools didn't have, they had kind of an academic music department, but not, you know, I wanted like uh, string players from around the world and tons of practice rooms going, so I needed to be at a conservatory, but I also needed that true liberal arts experience. So Tufts University offered a double degree program with doing conservatory music. And then of course it was the college acapella group, the Tufts Beelzebubs that came and sang at my high school that made me fall in love with that whole genre. So uh, I went to Tufts and doing conservatory music um, in part to be able to be in the Beelzebubs, which um, had a huge impact on my career as a musician. Um, both uh, creatively and musically and just logistically understanding what it takes to put together a gig and run a show and build a set and run an ensemble and all the things that I needed to be able to go and do this professionally once I graduated. Absolutely. <clears throat> a couple of things from there. Um, firstly, um, there's, there's obviously been something about acapella that has drawn you. What, what, what's like when when did that penny drop and and why acapella has is, is your baby? I don't really know. I, there's just something. It's like that shaft of light through the clouds that happens in the Blues Brothers movie on John Belushi before he does the the flips. It's that. It's literally that. And I remember sitting around the campfire at summer camp when I was in elementary school. And, you know, someone's strumming the guitar and people are singing songs and the counselor next to me just starts improvising a harmony a, a third above, you know, something simple, I'm sure. Yes. And I was like, there were fireworks in my yeah. mind. I was yeah. like, you can do that? You mean you can just <laughs> make up other... Yeah. Right, no, serious, because I was on the boys' <laughs> course, you know, you only do what you're told. Yeah. And so it was the blending of harmony and the ability to... Um, sing music from any genre because I love music and listen to music from all around the world all the yeah. time and, and classical as well as jazz and bossa nova and pop and rock and whatnot and um and so all of that came together but the the, the the real magic of having it just be voices the original instrument that purity and the incredible connection that happens between people that regardless of your your belief system is spiritual for lack of a better word which is why it's at the core of so many different religious traditions and ceremonies and and whatnot it just grabbed me and took hold and wouldn't let go and so i felt it pull me in and and i knew that that's what i needed to do and then once i had developed a new sound and style in in, in college i felt like i need to share this with the world I, I really want people to to know this and to experience this music and be a have it be a part of their lives because it's so powerful for me the, the good old uh, you didn't choose it it chose you defense yes yeah. oh, it's, it's completely it's, 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 it's a cool one um so just on that um i think we've all experienced uh solo archipelago performances that have you know filled a room and that have been spectacular what's your view of of what's unique about harmony singing versus solo archipelago well it's it's all 
it's all the same thing to me. I, 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 I think one of the things that Barbershop has a little bit of a ball and chain about is that there, there are walls, there are boundaries, there are rules, there are ways that things need to be. And that's the right way to do it or the better way to do it or whatever. In my world, and, and by the way, Barbershop has always been a part of the Contemporary Acapella Society of America and part of the word acapella. I know that barbershoppers call what I do acapella and what you do barbershop, but I think that's silly because acapella includes it. I'm very oh, big of course, of course. about Barbershop is, is, a, um, is a component of acapella. Yeah, just singing on a Well, of course. Simple yeah, as that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So sometimes people sing the music, the, the lyrics all together and, and sometimes they harmonize around the melody in, in kind of homophony and, and you know, and in a choral sense, you know, like a hymn and other times they don't. And sometimes it's nice to have one soloist be loose and free and be able to improvise and move their voice around and slide and slur. And that's also great. And in fact, you know, from my understanding of, of the history of, of vocal music and, and acapella over the past hundred years, it really sounds to me like Southern gospel music, like the Fairfield Four, is in some ways closer to the original barbershop tradition, which of course was African-American, than modern barbershop is in some ways because the call and response is still there because the harmonies are in many ways simpler and um there's there's there are characteristics of what i hear in the very early barbershop recordings like you know mama's black baby boy like the, by the unique quartet which you can hear online if you want to um that sound like southern gospel that sound like that kind of good old revivalist traditional church acapella more than barbershop now which is as a result of a judging system uh has become so complicated and so wonderfully harmonically diverse and it's like it's like the triple lindy and the double backflip with the blah, 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 um which i love 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 but it's also gone in a different direction it's and i like them all it's completely fascinating um how uh, a genre 100, 150 years ago that uh, it, it described itself, for, you know, singing for the man in the street, you know, at its height. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's, there's evidence that there was, you know, virtually a barbershop quartet on every cor every street corner in America. Oh, yeah. Um, for, you know, for, to, as you say, to this thing that have got, it's got dozens of pages in the barbershop judging manual and there are rules about this, that and the other. And, and as you're, as I'm sure you're well aware, the, the, the music category in barbershop uh, continues a, 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 a lively debate about what is barbershop. But that's for another day. Um, well, no, but it's all good. Here's here's the thing. I do wish. I, I I hope that barbershop can step back away from this incredibly tiered system of perception. It's so often you'll ask people like, "Oh, who do you sing with, or whatever?" And and in the first sentence you get like, "Well, we're the number seven quartet of this region," or "We took second place at the." Da -da -da -da. Right. Like, I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Right. Let it go because. With that comes this arms race of more complex arrangements, more dense harmonic chord changes and all this kind of stuff that make it harder for the man on the street to sing it. I'd love for there to be a quartet that came... First of all, I'd love there, for there to be an African-American quartet that just comes out and changes everybody's perceptions about the stylistic way in which barbershops should be sung. Um, a little more looseness, a little more soul. Some of the things I talked about at Harmony University last year... Um, but uh, moreover, I'd love for it to be perfectly fine for a, a chorus to sing a bunch of triads with occasional swipes. Because honestly, that's what Barbershop looked like in 19, 
20 and, and earlier, 1938 and earlier, I found yeah. an old book a book in a bookstore and looking at the arrangements, I was like, where's the circle of fifths progressions? <laughs> you know, where are the sevenths in every chord? And they're, and, and they're not in there. Now, I love where Barbershop is now as well. And I do believe that music can and should develop. But if, if, if choruses, and I'm, I'm using a term that I don't like using and I hate hearing, but C level choruses, B minus oh, right. level choruses, right? right? Okay, all it's uh, to me, it's 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 unnecessarily disparaging um, and, and dismissive. Although it is informative. I mean, I get it. You know, not everybody's going to be great. So call them amateurs, call them whatever. If they were able to sing arrangements that were primarily triads, they'd sound so much better, mm-hmm. and they'd learn music so much faster, and they'd sing much more in tune. Mm. So, you know, I think. The big tent approach hopefully will find a way to make that possible and not have there be a stigma with, oh, they're singing the easy music. Oh, they're singing the... Who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, The Lion Sleeps Tonight's easy, and it's mm. also maybe the biggest pop tune of the, of the 20th century. Yeah. Starting back with Solomon Linda in South Africa and creating an entire style of music called Mbube, which is what the song's original title was. And then you have the Kingston Trio, and then you have the Tokens, and then it's in the Lion King movie. It's been... It's been a hit almost yeah. every decade somewhere around the world for a hundred years. Mm. So that's a successful tune. But if people sing it, like, does it feel like, oh, well, that's simple. It's just got three chords. You know? <laughs> They're just taking the easy road. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's great. <clears throat> and every year when I have my Carnegie Hall show, uh, after we've done our last song, I, 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 I berate the audience. I say, okay, we've been singing for you for two hours now. We've locked the doors. Nobody's allowed to leave until you sing with us. Mm. And I get, you know, the 400 singers, 500 singers there, along with the 2,800 in the audience, and everyone sings the Lion Sleeps Tonight together. Mm. Everyone in the audience knows it. Mm. And it's an incredible feeling to have 3,000-plus people all sing together. I mean, I know you guys know about it from the, the amazing conventions that end up happening, but this is happening with a bunch of audience members who just happen to come see a show, which is mm. a whole different vibe. So on that, uh, naturally, you've touched on um, literally 11, 10 million topics that we want to come back to in, in, uh, soon. But um, what's your, uh, in Australia, and I assume in America, the, the whole concept of the pub choir has taken off over the past I don't know, year or two. Um, it, it seems to have yeah, touched a nerve um, where all a bunch of people just come in and, you know, sort of learn a song in inverted commas in, in an hour or so and just sing together and then they just go home. Um, it, it, all, it seems to almost harken back to certainly the, um, the my understanding of the, 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 the British, um, you know, pub scene, you know, England yeah. and Wales and all the rest, people coming together and having a beer and just singing together and then just going home because that's just fun <laughs> and it's what you do. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And in fact, the Harmony Soupstakes competition, which is a big uh, and was a big cornerstone of the American a cappella tradition, predating the college competition that started that's in Pitch Perfect, et cetera, et cetera. It all came out of something called the Mayflower Chorus, which was a pub chorus, people getting together and having fun. And then Lisa Murphy, who started this competition, thought, you know, there's some, so many different great groups and so many of them sing an acapella. Why don't I just put together a little, a little local Marin County acapella competition for these different groups? And that's how it started. And then, and then it became a, a big national deal. And it's been uh, really successful in helping to launch the career of a number of, of well-known acapella groups. But it, that, that, that whole people getting together and, and having, a, you know, hoisting a pint and singing together. I mean, that harkens back also to things like sea shanties, right? Mm-hmm. Where you know, you're, you're, you're working and you're having fun and you're 
you're, you're using this music to make the workday easier and you're also you know connecting with your comrades your your buddies your uh, your yeah, work colleagues yeah co-workers through yeah, the music yeah as you say been going on at, at least for centuries um you touched on competition I, i'd love to just tease that out a little bit in in the short time we have together um you i, I totally agree with a, a whole bunch you know the things you were saying are sort of about almost you know um people people getting caught up in in results and and forgetting you know the original purpose um conversely of course you know we are we are humans competitive by nature to a greater or lesser degree you know there is yeah. there is a role yeah. for competition to get the best out of us when if we just turned up at a random you know if we just rehearsed every week for no other outcome maybe we yeah. you know there's argument we could flatline so just tease out if you would yeah what some of the, the the good things about competition and and the best way to approach competition to to get the best out of it and again you know avoid some of the pitfalls that are so common well, it's tough because I think it's I think it's without question that the barbershop community would not be as large as it is and would not have as many diehard uh, members and supporters without the competitive elements. So having competitions be a part of barbershop is at this point died in the wool. I mean, yes. the, the, you can't tease out and separate the two. So I don't I, first of all, I don't think you should, but I don't think you could. Yeah. And if you look at doo-wop, which was the next major 50-year-later tradition of vocal harmony, I think the last of the doo-wop organizations across America are well, gone. Uh, the United Group Harmony Association is gone, and there, there are a couple little pockets of people who might get together once a year and sing a couple tunes, but even that, I think, doesn't much exist. It, it, ne it never became truly centralized, um, and yet, look at that. I mean, that music is much more current much more recent this tradition these people who sang that music are still alive yes. and it doesn't exist so you know that's some that's you know it's also more proof that the organization the barbershop harmony society sweet adelines harmony incorporated like what they've been doing has worked mm -hmm. in a way that uh do i've never got going so I think the competitions are here to stay, and and obviously it's been you know helpful to the college acapella world as well. I wanted there to be a March Madness of collegiate acapella, which is why I started the national championship of college acapella, the N double C A as opposed to the N C double A, and then of course went international and way a totally different, totally different. And and yet the good thing is most college acapella groups don't compete. It's only a small percentage of maybe 10% of the college groups out there will ever be a part of that competition or another one. Um, and that's good because you get a piece of it, but it's not the main driving force. Hmm. Um, hopefully there can be found more ways in which barbershop can exist outside of that competitive format. And I, you know, I've been beating this drum online and, and barbershop you know, forums and whatnot. I think the real focus has to be on making videos. Um, and there are a couple groups out there that have done a great job with them. Uh, Midtown and, and uh, GQ, of course, yep. have, have had some some videos that are, are fantastic and fun and young and energetic and are still you know, barbershop. That's the way we're going to reach the next generations. And uh, if the focus is on making videos uh, more than competing, then we'll be looking outwards more than looking inwards. It, mm -hmm. Competitions are a very inward-focused process. 
and I've said this to the heads of all the barbershop organizations, and, I'll, and I've said it in public too, and I'll say it once again, I think it'd be amazing if everyone took a year off of competing and said, okay, no competitions, no gold medals this year, but you can get a gold medal for the chorus that gets the most new members, the group that gets the most video views, and the group that performs for the most people. Go. Things like that. Because then they're focused, the, 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 the focus then is on winning over the public and, and looking outward. Or do those things alongside these other competitions. Uh, and then you get some groups that are really focused on like singing for the barbershop community and, and being insiders. And you get other groups that are like, you know what? I'm not gonna try to impress any judges. I'm gonna try to impress every high schooler in America. And the latter is the group that's going to be more important to the history of, of barbershop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, amazing points you, you make. There's a, a, a group you may well know. I'm sure you know Joe Cerruti from BHS and, and his group, his chorus, oh, the Alexandria Harmonizers, yeah. who, uh, for, yeah, yeah, they're for amazing. Whom, um, yeah, competition is a substantial part of why they exist, but there are other equally important parts. And I know that they've they've chosen not to go to a number of international competitions in over the past uh, number of years and and uh, you know for example once taken a, uh, a trip over to the uk and france and done some some performances over there including some sort of war related um uh, performances uh, yeah. uh, so yeah. There, yeah there are so many more things that you can do from, from competition um yeah and i think the harmonizers are a fantastic example of the right way to be looking at this yeah. whole concept of competition mm. and I just I think also what happens is that a lot of groups as they're coming up they focus on winning and then once they've won they can kind of re you know like relax and oh and then we're gonna go do these performances and stuff but if, if we're all honest there's much more energy spent on rising up and becoming the best than there ever is on going out and reaching public like are people losing sleep at night and hiring coaches and getting the best <laughs> advice they can to try to make high schoolers and college students fall in love with their group or get a viral video like where's the fire in people's bellies like we need a barbershop viral video the way that people think like we need to win gold this mm, year yeah if that paradigm could shift I think we could turn the numbers around and barbershop numbers would start to grow again. It's interesting, yeah, you, you allude to the different motivations. Um, we, we don't have the same motivation just as, as humans, as competitive beings, to a greater or lesser extent with uh, getting out there in the broader community and growing numbers as we do with getting the shiny shiny metal around the neck. Um, mate, you... Well then let's make the metal about getting those, those new members. That's yeah, what I'm yeah, saying, yeah. like, okay, well then, yeah. It's interesting. Mate, you mentioned GQ, just briefly, um, what is it that's so good about GQ? There's something that's that's cut through for them, both in, within barbershop and I'm sure in the broader community. Given they have gone gone viral, is is it something about the the the, the their um, repertoire choice that just suits their voice, or something about them being just grounded musicians that comes across and connects with the with 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 listeners? What's your sense? Well, the thing. And I've worked with GQ and consider them good friends and, and have immense respect for them. I hear them make choices for the music mm, nice. and for their image and for what they want to do over what they think is going to 
in press charges. And sometimes I think they even know they're going to get comments and dinged. And I, a couple of years ago, I heard about stuff like even like they got dinged for wearing pants. <laughs> you know, That's not ridiculous stuff. But right, well, or it's not. You know, they, they didn't look quite right. Blah blah yeah, blah 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 yeah. blah blah blah. You know, there there are issues of sexism woven into this, and there are issues of confusion, and and there yeah. have been discussions that I've that I've jumped in the middle of on in in Sweet Adeline's um, forums, and there's nothing more inappropriate and mansplaining than having you know a cis-normative white guy telling a bunch of women like why are you obsessed over what color lipstick people are wearing but at the same yeah, time well. as a bit of an outsider i feel like i'm able to at least start the yep. discussion and also you know like let people tell me that i'm misguided and wrong which some of them were very happy to do <laughs> <laughs> and 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 yet and yet i do hear these gripes behind the scenes and i also hear people say things like that they don't want to say in public because they're worried that that will end up negatively impacting upon either the scores mm. or the reputation of the mm. community um, that there are things that need to change and, and change is hard for all organizations particularly one that's rooted in the preservation of, of a, a musical style mm. and a hearkening back upon the way things used to be the, the, changing those kind of organizations is particularly difficult so I definitely see it on both sides but I'm, I'm to go back to your original question I'm deeply impressed by the fact that GQ in the end says, you know what, we're going to do this because it suits the song, it suits us. And um, and they're also very aware that they'd like to win medals, but they're going to make another video. And yeah. they're going to try to go out there and win over new fans and, and make a difference there. And they love each other and all that stuff comes across too. So they really, they've got the secret sauce. And I'd love to see more groups with that kind of an understanding of the balance like you said with the alexander harmonizers is that same kind of a thing and i really do feel like it's out there i feel like it's coming there's a there's a wonderful sea change where um a good good sense of healthy balanced perspective is is uh is among it's us. interesting um you mentioned the, the the secret sauce i think i think just just like you know humans to a greater or lesser extent are, are, are innately competitive somewhat or a lot um we also i mean we're we're social animals and so we can pick up on genuineness or not and i think you know a lot of there's i mean gq just sings well um but also that there is that uh honoring the music and there is that groundedness and I, that just comes through to me when um you know that there is a, a huge risk in barbershop as you've been alluding to to color by yeah. numbers play to the judges play to the criteria yeah be quite Quite robotic in some ways and again subconsciously we, we pick up on that as humans as an audience and go like that's technically good but i'm not moved by it so it's a, ch a tough one yeah and, and and the thing that i say all the time is is nobody at the end of a long day says like oh i just need to listen to the most perfect piece of music i own the most technically precise piece of music I they want to hear music that moves mm -hmm. them and that's why Motown is still so powerful because even if it isn't in perfect tune, even if they, you know, some of these Motown groups would be C plus at best, mm. right? But they also make a smile every single time we hear their music and we hit repeat because we want to hear you it again. The, yes. So the it's never been about the mm. technical aspects any more than, than someone goes into a bookstore and says, I just want to, you know, please recommend to me the book that you have that has the very best spelling. <laughs> I want a book with perfect grammar. Right? Nobody cares. It's like, I want a good story. And listen, people read authors like Dan Brown and Fifty Shades of Grey. This this music is un... I mean, sorry. Th these books are un unreadable. They're terrible. Okay, i got to go for two seconds. Pause for uh, a no second. Worries. That's my front door. I'll be back in okay. two minutes.
And Hooray, we're back. So back sorry about that. See, Thank we you. We can put an ad in there from our sponsors. <laughs> oh, perfect. Do that. <laughs> for, for the, uh, how many how many sponsors do you have that um, you know pay for a podcast that only uh, has one listener? Well, if you, if you sponsor us, it'll be one. <laughs> okay. Well, there's the then. Dick then, Sharon uh, Incorporated. <laughs> totally. Totally. Uh, mate, uh, all right, so, so pushing right along, um, I just, it happens to be next uh, on my list here. Tell me, tell our listener about being a great MC, because of course that can, to a, you know, it's to a large extent, make or break a show sometimes. Oh, it absolutely can. That's, that's actually a really interesting question that I've never gotten before. Yeah, I'm that's glad what that I, you think about that's it. That's because... what I strive to do, ask a question that the interviewer has uh, never had before. Go ahead. So, um, I think the first thing about being an MC is that you need to remember that you're performing just the same as everybody else on stage. You need to bring energy and excitement and vivacity. There are some people who, who MC who feel like their job is more just kind of delivering or sharing information, which is a fail. Like you, you, yeah. you want to get the audience cheering and excited about everything. Um, number two, I think you got to do a little bit of homework. You got to know what you're going in about, who these groups are, get some notes beforehand. And number three, even more important, I think to do a little bit of back announcing and often to say something positive about or something insightful about each group that has just performed, particularly if you're doing a competition or you're doing, you know, one of those festival shows where a number of different groups are going to go bam, 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 back to back. Um, it's really fun now of course you do have to make sure you don't say something that's going to skew the judges too much or or whatever but there's there's a way around that and and still being able to say like oh i loved hearing that number or you know nice nice pom-poms gentlemen or you know whatever yeah (laughs) whatever is going on and obviously it's easier in a show where there are no judges to be influenced so oh it's it's absolutely it's absolutely the best yeah and and um and if there are two different people who are uh, who are emceeing together, it's great if there's some kind of rapport between the two banter, of them, and yeah. they can, you know, banter back and forth. And maybe one's the knowledgeable one, and one's the more the buffoon, like the typical Sonny and Cher, Donnie and Marie, you know, uh, Smothers Brothers, you know, mm-hmm. energy that you get, you know, Laurel and Hardy, whatever. Yeah. Um, and most of all, have fun. I mean, I think people mm. who emcee and take it a little too seriously. Uh, suck a little bit of that energy out yeah. of the room or think like they need to be serious because this music is is serious and it is but it's also fun yeah nice one yeah. i love i love how you wrap that up into a little bite-sized chunk um so arranging again uh we could spend an entire podcast about this but just tell us briefly how you approach arranging do you do, do you uh need to f- sort of feel musically inspired with a song and sort of have a vision of, of, of where it'll go or is it, do you sort of start no. and it comes together or? You don't. So people ask me often like, you know, can, can any song work a cappella? And, and my answer is yes, any song can work a cappella, but not every song is going to work well for every group. Yep. Your number one job with any piece of music is to try to find the nexus between the group and the song. How are they going to make that song the best it can be? And sometimes, you know, in ideal circumstances, better than the original. That, that's what you strive for. Um, and this, this actually, again, goes back to something we were talking about, about emotion. Because that's what's at the core of, of an artistic experience and, and performance. Um, if you get too serious about it or you think too much about the technical, if, if you if you're always aiming for the highest notes and the lowest notes and the most dense and complex chords, 
you're often missing the heart of the song. What mm-hmm. do the lyrics mean? How does it, you know, how does that relate to what's going on now in our culture and our society? Is there a lead vocalist who's going to be able to deliver that best, or is it better with, you know, kind of a group harmony? Are you, you know, what do you what are you wanting the group to say, and how do you help them say it the best way possible? And then every decision you make within the arrangement should stem from that. Um, are you turning down the intro because you want to get right to the lyrics? Are you getting rid of guitar solos because nobody's good at it, so you don't show a weakness within the group? Are you going to cut out some of the extra choruses be- at the end because you know the song has has already kind of made its point? And acapella requires kind of more intense uh, yeah. attention from the audience, and therefore you can outstay your welcome a little more easily. Like there are all kinds of different elements of 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 acapella, and and, and the better that you know a group, the better you're able to really custom tailor it so that it fits them really well nice um uh, i love the focus on on uh, yeah uh, uh, playing to your strengths and, uh, and 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 being smart while you were talking about that it just occurred to me um uh, can i test a a a proposition uh, given barbershop just by definition is a fairly narrow genre it's quite a specific thing um when people are putting together shows would you recommend for you know obviously audience enjoyment that they invite some sort of a non-barbershop performer to be part of the entire program for variety always and in fact when i was the one who was programming the the casa festival um you know performances in through the 90s i had barbershop there all the time Mm. In fact, I would often have like a world music or a folk group or something, and then a barbershop group, and then some kind of a doo-wop or a street corner, you know, rhythm and blues style group, and then a contemporary group. So, you know, if you've got four groups, you've got this like, you're taking basically taking a history lesson, and each one of the performances makes the others stronger. Mm. You're hearing music mm. from a different lens, and you're getting this smorgasbord, you're getting this buffet of, of, of distilled... And also, these groups are going to do their greatest hits, bam, 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 down the line. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think it's fantastic when a barbershop uh, performance includes other kinds of acapella. And it's this doesn't just mean the latest pop acapella, but but if you invite a high school or you know collegiate group, can be great. But also a local folk ensemble, also mm. a community chorus of a different style, like bringing all of them together so that you end up having a really interesting celebration of vocal music can make for a, a better show on all, all sides. And um, so speaking of variety, um, please riddle me this, Batman. It's something that's occurred to me recently is how many barbershoppers try to do choreography that doesn't really suit them or they're not really, it, 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 yeah, it's not, not particularly a smart choice. Um, what's your experience with vocal groups collaborating with dance groups and each bringing their, their, you know, their strongest contribution to the overall performance. I think it's a great idea. And you definitely see that, okay, so if we go outside of acapella, if you go to and look at a boy band performance, you know, hearkening back to the 80s up till today, often they're in the front singing and they've hired some dancers to move yes. around and dance behind them. So that's, that's what the money people are doing. That's where the, you know, uh, that's where that's going, and there have also been some tr- some experiences and concert tours and whatever that have included uh, an acapella group and a dance ensemble. The the collaboration between the Bobs, the great legendary acapella ensemble, as well as the dance troupe ISO is a great one. In fact, I think there's a PBS special that was built around that, and and a video that was made, and there have been some other fun collaborations between the two. 
Uh, and another thing is for for acapella groups, barbershop groups, whatever, to, to work with the choreographers, and not necessarily someone who's going to make them like you know sing and stand on point or do pirouettes, but rather someone who can understand their body language and help mm. maximize their own visual performance to go along with the musical one. Yeah, nice, nice, um, mate. Um, just going. Uh, Tell me, tell, talk to me about auditioning. Um, it's, it's it's something that makes many or most people break out in cold sweats. So I guess both from from a group's <laughs> perspective, the, the the value of auditioning new members compared to being a you know open door anyone can join this group perspective. As uh, so so you know the best use of the concept of auditioning for for sure. to, to, for a group as well as yeah as from an individual how to how to how, yeah the the good old chestnut how best to pre- um, prepare for an audition. Well, you know, I, there, I've a ton. We can make a whole podcast. About yeah, this every topic. every one of these questions say, is a podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'll start by saying that camp acapella is open to everyone, age eleven to one hundred and eleven, and we don't have auditions because yeah. I truly do believe that anyone can sing. Um, now, I'm sure there are listeners who are like, "Well, that's fine," but our chorus is trying to take this award or win this thing, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then maybe there are ways you can work around that. You can have two different tiers to your chorus. You can expand out your course and have the you know the kind of that's what happened in the san francisco boys course for me there's the like training ensemble and then the intermediate group and then you have your concert group and i realize not every choir has numbers that end up uh, sure. making that possible but it, it's it would be shameful to turn away people who want to sing if there's the potential to be able to, to work with them and teach them now granted there are some people who haven't sung from age six and now they're joining a chorus and they can barely match pitch and whose responsibility is that and how much time can your chorus spend because you're going to lose some of the high-end people. So Mm -hmm. I get that it's complicated. But all things being equal, I'd like there to be an opportunity for people who have not sung a lot to sing in every single community around the world. I think Mm. it's it's absolutely essential. And and so if you're on the border, try to take these people and work with them, give them extra coaching, have extra rehearsals for them, Put them in the, in, you know, surround them with the other singers who sing well, and try to get them up to speed because um, there are a lot of people that I've heard in choruses. In fact, one that I just worked with, the Redwood, Redwood Corsman, their their uh, barbershopper of the year, uh, I think two years ago, walked in off the street and hadn't sung since middle school or something like that. And he's a superstar. He's sung multiple parts now and and whatnot. So these people are out there. Mm. As far as the best way to audition. I think it's really important for you to have a good sense of yourself and what you do well. Um, and and so in the same sense that your group shouldn't, you know, an acapella group shouldn't be singing the songs that, oh, I like that song on the radio, I want to sing it, but rather sing songs that you will be able to do a good job with, mm. partially because of your vocal range, but more importantly, like who you are as people, what can you reflect well? A good example of this in a very extreme sense is a bunch of 13-year-olds shouldn't be singing Paul Simon still crazy after all these years. Like, you know, mm. what's your life experience? What are you mm-hmm. able to reflect? You want this to be the case in your in your solo number as well. You want a song that's going to show you off and reflect your personality and your character as well as your vocal um, register and timbre and all that. And for people who think that there isn't a song for everyone, lest I remind you that there are very successful singing careers for people like Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, and Randy Newman, all of whom I have great respect for. Mm. But... They're, these are not people whose voices are given to Tom Waits, you know, given to precise 
careful singing. And even some singers like Elvis Costello and Bruce Springsteen and like, you know, they've got non-traditional voices and they found ways to make their, their singing and their phrasing match their message and their mood and their character. Yeah, that's important. So there's there's a great song out there for everybody. And so go dig around and find it. And if you're not sure what it is, you can go to karaoke night and try a few things out and have people pitch ideas your way and you'll find it. I wonder what Joe, um, advice Joe Cocker got as a young vocalist and whether how many people dismissed his, his future in singing. Probably. And, <laughs> and he was one of the greats, right? Yeah, I think, exactly. I actually think, I think the greatest cover song of all time is his version of yeah. A Little Help for My Friends. There you go. Now, the Beatles are, are great, and it's yeah. it's basically impossible to be better than the Beatles. That's right, yeah. But he did it with that song. Yeah. And he yeah. did it in yeah. such a powerful way. So, you know, I, I hold that up as, as a real testament to um, his greatness. Yeah. No, he's, he's always my favorite example. Um, mate, um, so go, going back to, um, I guess, comp- competition, Barbershop... Um, you know, one of its greatnesses is, is competition, and one of its strengths is is the supportive nature of barbershop uh, culture and, and choruses. And and there's a real sense of uh, wanting people to experience the the uh, the, the the quartet uh, and wanting them to experience competing in a quartet. And so there's 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 a real sense of just have a go. Um, uh, that what's your observation? Um, about the balance between that and actually for any performer being prepared so that it's actually a positive experience rather than actually just scary and I hope I get through this. Well, I, you know, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is the sign that's above Marty Munson's desk that says competitions are mostly for losers. <laughs> and he, I think, has done right a beautiful one, job yeah. in making sure that people nice. throughout his organization, the Barbershop Harmony Society, recognize <laughs> the fact that Almost everybody's going to lose, so you can't make the competition all about winning. Yeah. But rather, it has to be something that's something for everyone. Um, I think it's essential that the competitions be focused and lean towards being festivals and celebrations of harmony and about fun and connection and camaraderie. Because honestly, this is not science. No one's going to die. This isn't Apollo 13 where we have to get these people safely back to Earth or they're all going to you know, expire in space. <laughs> Although some people so, performing feel like they're about to die. Right, of course. <laughs> and, 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 and in the same way that you don't want students who are singing to have those kind of experiences, it, it really doesn't benefit anyone um, to make it scary. And, yes. and, and so hopefully the MCs and the coaches and the judges can can be uh, as supportive as possible and in the end everybody realizes like oh you, you you forgot a lyric or you sang a little bit out of tune guess what nobody died let's go have a beer you know yeah. it's like that yeah if you make it about the friendship and the connection and in the end everyone wins mm-hmm. then then you're in a good place and and that's what i tell people all the time uh, within vocal groups unlike a sporting event if you do vocal music right everybody wins everyone wins and ultimately who you know who wins and who loses the sporting event doesn't make any difference whatsoever but if you sing well if you get up on stage and you sing from your heart you'll change the lives of the people in the audience you'll inspire other people to sing you know and and in the case of a 13 year old girl who's been bullied she'll 
it'll change your life. Mm. Your grades will be better. She'll stay in school longer. You know, everything to suicide rates going down. And for an empty nester, we're talking about a person who, who is feeling, you know, maybe great sorrow, disconnection from society. So much about our society is involves interfacing with technology and screens and not knowing your neighbors anymore and not having, a, you know, the same kind of a job where you feel supported and people hop around and, and they just feel unmoored. And, and a singing ensemble can give people that sense of community that, that is fundamental to what it is to be human. Mm. And all of our ancestors in prehistoric times lived in little tribes that are, that are 50 members or, young, or fewer. That's how humans interactive relationships were created and, and have developed. So we have a biological need to be in a troop, to be in a team, to mm. be in a, in a we collective. We are tribal. Mm. We're tribal, mm. and and a, and a vocal ensemble brings out the very best elements of that. Without um, some of the you know more warlike and and um, and, and nasty of them, so mm. it, this is it's all it's all wonderful. So when you go up on stage, if you sing and you inspire some of us to join, you've changed their life for the better. And it might not be the best singer in the group that inspires them. They may look at somebody in the you know second from the end and the in the third row and say, that person reminds me of me. So we can't we can't let people who are going up on stage think that the point is to score the highest. The point is to make the world a more harmonious place. That's the point. And um and hopefully people are getting closer and closer to making sure everyone knows that's the goal. Mm. This guy. Um, mate, mm -hmm. that, this is awesome. We, we, we do need to finish up reasonably soon, but I've just got a couple more questions that I, I do need to ask sure. you. And as a, a, a bridge to that, um, in some of the, the, um, the, the, the material um, that you've recorded before, you've, you've talked about um, how you introduced, um, I, it was the, I guess it was a sing-off, you, you tried to make sure that the, um, the competitors actually bonded with each other and so when someone was voted off that you know people were sad to see them go and you kind of changed yeah, that, right. that, that culture and that's consistent I think with your harmony through harmony and I think that's that's actually also one of the greatest strengths of, of, of barbershop um, uh, so so either talk to us about harmony through harmony or that that whole yeah you know, why you chain why you you know actively changed that culture the way you did well, when it came to making the sing-off, and this was the first season I wasn't a producer, and I had I had no right doing any of the stuff, but I didn't care because you didn't get fired. So you must have done all right. Is that? Yeah, I know I could have gotten fired at any moment. <laughs> I was way out of my league, and and yet I recognized like the show's going to go down like the Titanic unless someone makes some major changes here, both technical and interpersonal. Um, and I was like, this is our one chance to be on television, so let them fire me at least all have been doing the right thing yeah and instead they made me a producer after the first season which was which you know was a reflection of the fact that i think they recognized that what i was doing was necessary to the success of the show as well as you know everyone's enjoyment and the quality um the the problem with all these reality shows is that everybody's up against each other. They mm. all see each other as the enemy, mm. and that would not work on a, on a vocal harmony show. It, the whole thing would collapse under its own weight, and I could see and feel the tension in the room. So I, I and I gave the speech every single, <laughs> every single year on the first day, and every season, and also other continents where I made the show in Europe and in, in Asia and in Africa. Um, I said, look around the room. These people are not your enemy. You don't want the group before you to fall on their face because people will change the channel and watch Mythbusters. You want them to be sensational. And you want the group after you to be sensational. You want everybody to be awesome. And then we'll have a revolution. Mm. And then people 
will turn it, tune into the show and fall in love with it and fall in love with Acapella. And that was all they really needed to let their hair down and realize that they weren't enemies with each other. They're all just a bunch of good, nice people who, who want the best for everyone, which is really what Acapella is all about. And we had sing-off relationships and sing-off babies mm-hmm. and sing-off marriages in, in that order, by the way. And uh, <laughs> and ultimately, uh, the people... And I also told them, I said, listen, in, in five years, 10 years, 15 years, Sony, NBC, like, they're not going to remember you. They're not going to care. Um, but you guys will all still be friends. And that's exactly what's going on. I mean, we've got groups nice. that are out, still out there touring on the road that are composites of different people from different... Uh, different episodes and different seasons and and in fact Avi Kaplan the bass from Pentatonics who went off on his own in, um, and started a solo career every single one of the members of his backing band who sing harmony with him that also play instruments they were all members of different groups in the sing-off hmm. cool. which is incre- which is really cool like it's this family yeah that's amazing it really is a wonderful thing and also another uh, side point is that all of the opening numbers that we did weren't supposed to happen. There was only supposed to be one before the first show. Um, but after I made the statement, all the groups loved singing together. And it was a very different energy than you get from those pageant shows or the solo singing shows where no one looks at anyone else and they don't interact with each other and they don't really care. Everyone was out there having a blast singing with each other because they were all their friends and they were up till 2 a.m. the previous night in the hot tub together. So <laughs> you ended up with a really fun, great, compelling performance. And NBC said, we want one of those at the beginning of every single show. It's a signature yeah. of what we're doing. And and they really were. That, that sense of all these different people coming together and making something wonderful and harmonious is why Time Magazine said it's the greatest reality show on television. And and okay. and they were saying like they were they were like okay maybe we're overstating a little bit but they were like this is the only show where people are really caring about and supporting each other and it's so wonderful to see that and to mm. feel that energy like it was super genuine um, yeah one of the people best people just needed to be allowed to one of the best experiences yeah we can have I think is is coming together uh, and not only creating something together but um, the spontaneity and creating something that we didn't realize we were going to create. Um, I think that's a really cool yeah. thing. Uh, and, and yeah, oh, share, sharing that. Um, mate, uh, third last question as we wrap up. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, we should be done by tomorrow. Um, you share a bunch of stuff uh, on your YouTube channel, um, some of which is, is barbershop. Um, so what, what is it about a barbershop performance that, that um, resonates with you I was going to continue, but I think that should be enough. Okay, and and, um, and, and well, and, well, and, and 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 triggers you to share the performance is 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 my point. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. So I would say, um, you know, most of the things that I'm that I'm sharing are just things that I happen to be there and capture um, with my own phone, or I'll coach in some groups, and then one of them I'm like, ooh, that's really special, and that's really all it comes down to. I work with different groups, in different ages, and different genres, and whatever, and and. It's not like this is the most technically great performance that I need to share necessarily. It's that there's something special about it. And I feel like, oh, I really want to share this and have other people experience it. And I've had videos that I've shared go super viral, like mm. you know, millions and millions mm-hmm. of views. Mm. Um, you never know which one it's going to be, by the way. It's not yeah. like, oh, well, you know. No, you don't. You just throw these things up and sometimes they catch fire and sometimes they don't. It's it's. There's a great deal of, of, of whimsy and you know, capriciousness to, to the American and, and international public's tastes in any one given day or how lucky this popped up on this algorithm and it happened to be a song that mm-hmm. was, you know, it's 
75th anniversary of whatever, who knows. Um, but I just share things that, that touch me and that I feel are special and that I think other people will connect to as well. Um, and, you know, I guess it all, it all boils down to that sense of the spark. Mm. There's something, there's some spark within it. And that's going back to earlier parts of this conversation. That's what I see in GQ. That's what I see in other uh, great young barbershop groups that are um, getting out there and making music that's emotional, emotionally driven and really you know, has their love and passion in it. They're singing it because they want to, because they love to, and cares what the score is, and you know, and in a way, when they let go of trying to make it great, they're even better at it. Nice. And, you know, there's some, there's some, there's something zen in there, but it's it's true, particularly with the performing arts. Yeah, the the X factor. You know it when you see it, even if sometimes you can't articulate it. Something that um as uh, my um my learned colleague here, Ash, uh, coined a phrase that I love. He coined the phrase the Maltesian moment. Um, can you guess what that is? Ah. It's, uh, he he loves when he's sitting in an audience, like with his little packet of Maltesers, and he, okay. a performance comes, to, a song comes to the end, and he realised that the Malteser he was about to put in his mouth has actually melted in his fingers because he's been tra so transfixed by the performance. I love that so much. Oh, I like that. That's a good one. <laughs> There's you... also a good one. I think I think Steve Martin had this quote. Uh, it was from decades ago that I, I don't know. I'll get it exactly right, but it's like, you know, don't try to make art. That's stupid try to entertain people and mm. sometimes it'll rise to the level of being art yeah nice something like that mm. and and i feel like that's really true like try to make something wonderful and great that will connect with other people and then sometimes that will be truly sublime but if you're if you're focusing so hard on trying to make you know it it, it can sometimes just come across as being so clumsy and something there sort of try hard yeah um so uh, I reckon we may well have, have already answered my second last question, but I'll throw it out there in case there's anything if you wanted to add to all the stuff we've said. Um, what can the barbershop world learn from the music world outside barbershop? Oh, well, I think that, that comes down to one very simple thing. The music world outside barbershop is just trying to reach as many people as possible, yeah. find as big an audience as possible, and entertain the snot out of them. Mm. They're looking outward. They're mm -hmm. always looking outward. How do we get nice. more views? How do we sell more tickets? How do we get more people engaged and involved? You know, what's our image going to be that's going to make that work? And it's it's like the entire music industry is doing this, with very rare exception. Um, more, and more, and more people. Like let's 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 reach more people. And I don't get that sense with a lot of barbershops. It's very like, internally how do we focused. The judges, we, how we've do we even get, acknowledged we get that in recent score? years, how internally focused yeah. we've been. And so we, we are sort of actively trying to address that. It takes a while to turn around an ocean liner. Totally. And, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I, from the leadership perspective, they're, they're doing everything they can. Like, how do we get more people to yeah. be outwardly focused rather than inwardly focused? So these aren't new discussions, mm. but ultimately that's it. You know, cool. um, how, do you, how do you get more people in the general world to fall in love with you? And... And you can look at what other people have done. Mm. And there are other styles of music. I can mention bluegrass beforehand. There was a bluegrass revival going on for a while. And those people didn't have to change anything they were doing. I, I don't think Barbershop necessarily needs to make huge changes to its repertoire or chord choices or wardrobe or whatever. It's, it's, not, it's not like that. Mm. It's not about, like, let's try to be younger to appeal to the young people. It's not that. It's like, find the best way to be yourself and mm. do it in a way that's going to be honest and compelling to a non-barbershop listener 
so that it's not about an insidery kind of perspective, but rather it's it's just compelling in and of itself. And then you're the best of both worlds. Then you're interesting to the outside world. Maybe not everybody, but who cares? Not everybody loves acapella. And then mm-hmm. you're Some also true to that's right that's exactly right and then you're and then you're also still true to who you are and what you are as as a culture and and a community that's absolutely gold um uh, so before i get to the last question um ash anything else uh, you want to throw in there buddy before we uh, finish up um there w- we did have a question on the facebook page uh, on our thing uh what was from uh from matt jung from the Baden street singers he he wanted to know uh when is barbershop going to become mainstream and when when will his uh, barbershop musical come to fruition <laughs> when he listens to this podcast and follows dick's advice excellent matt well um i i don't know if you know this but um barbershop has been a huge deal so you're like wondering when it's going to happen it already happened dude it's been a big deal now will it swing back around again who knows you know hopefully it will there was a period of time in the 90s when Gregorian chant was huge and, and there was a, a Gregorian chant album that wasn't even that good that like was a top 10 album and of course acapellas had this big you know resurgence in interest but now it's not the media flavor of the month and things are quieting down and there's no way of knowing all you can do is do your best and get out there and and try to uh, make something that's wonderful and then maybe something will end up catching fire who knows Pentatonix is still out there crushing it so you know all these acapella groups also are, are have very successful careers straight no chaser and home free and king singers voice play and naturally seven i mean i could just list all of yeah. these groups that are you know major performing arts touring and i've got my new disney group decapella and and you know so acapella is still doing really well and it's much bigger than it was you know 10 15 20 years ago and hopefully it'll, yeah. it'll maintain there um as far as your barbershop musical is concerned write it who's, who's <laughs> yeah. today? do it come on dude stop blaming it on other people stop waiting for someone else stop to listening it. to podcasts and get to work <laughs> seriously matt God. i agree with everything you said except stop listening to the podcast um so, so um <laughs> mate to, to other podcast i meant other podcasts, other podcasts. this one is yeah, essential well well to, to the work that he's doing I, yeah yeah I your um so my favorite question um what and thank you for all this awesomeness over the past hour or so what um what would 2019 Deke Sharon tell Pick a Date 1979 Deke Sharon about your future in music? Oh, wow. I wouldn't say anything. <laughs> I wouldn't want to muck it up, go cool. back to the future, and then, okay. and then change my perspective. Look, Just the journey experience that I was on required wow. nice. me to not know if I was going to be successful and then work tirelessly... And if I went back and knew that I was going to be, I don't know if I would work as hard. Not not that I'm lazy, but just, you know what I mean? Like, things have, have turned out better than I think anyone could reasonably have expected for acapella and my career and all these things in general. In fact, my high school choral director used to joke that I was trying to make a career out of professionally tiddlywinks. And if your high school choral director is not <laughs> behind you, who's going to be behind you in your vocal choral music career? You know what I mean? I mean, he's a great man, and he was certainly supportive, per se. He just thought it was crazy. Everybody thought it was crazy. So, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say anything different. Great um, answer. That's cool. Yeah. 
I love that. Yeah. We've experienced it all organically. Uh, well, uh, we've got a bit over time, but um, chock-a-block with all awesome um, responses and answers and advice. Um, Deke, uh, thank you for that. And, and you know, thank oh, it's you. It's my pleasure. Not only it was a great discussion today, but um, thank you for, for the just enormous uh, contribution you've made to singing and acapella singing and music in general throughout the world, uh, in mm-hmm. Australia and, and everywhere else. And uh, lo- long, uh, long may that continue. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. And I can't wait to come back there. Hopefully, uh, again, next year, uh, Vocal Australia is a wonderful organization. And they, they brought me in. I was there three plus weeks. It was fantastic. So I, I hope cool. next time to come back and get a chance to hop around to different different cities that I haven't seen. And hopefully do it during uh, footy season again so I can... Uh, <laughs> I can bear it from my tigers. Okay, so he, he, here, here is here is a goal we all have. If schedules allow, we will we will do a um, good morning BHA um, interview part two um, uh, involving a footy game in Australia uh, with hey. you Nick, when you're here again. So we'll see if our people can, can, can get the planets to align on that. <laughs> That's a bonza beauty. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Um, all right, mate. Well, uh, Ash, we'll um, finish. We'll, we'll fade in some uh, very attractive and appropriate sounds uh, to finish off that. But um, that's it, mate. That was, that was fun. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much. It was a great. Oh, fantastic questions, guys. My pleasure entirely. Thank you very much, Dave. honored I am touched I am overwhelmed I'm going to try not to cry because that would be unbecoming of an acapella singer <laughs> I don't know if you guys realize this so I'm just gonna say it how many of you guys have big brothers out there older siblings your whole life you're just trying to make them proud of you you're looking up at what they've done and you want to follow in their footsteps and make them proud of you. You guys are my big brother. You guys are the ones who have paved the way. For the past 80 years, America has turned its back on singing. It used to be the case that everybody wanted to hear Christmas carols. They had to sing them themselves. And then recorded music came into play. And John Philip Sousa was correct when he said, this is going to ruin music as we know it. And then what happened from there? Well, our educational system first of all started saying that music isn't a real subject and then in the same breath turned around and said you know the really good people are the ones who belong on stage and everybody else why don't you just sit in the audience and watch and then finally lately we have these television programs like American Idol where they literally make fun a mockery of people who aren't great at singing 
And so what's happened? Everybody has run. They hide and they sing in the shower. They sing in the car when no one else is there. Maybe once a year they get drunk and sing karaoke. But the bottom line is they're not singing. And who is at the forefront of changing this? Who has been out there day after day, year after year, and trying to get people singing? You have. You have been doing this. And I aspire in my life's work to spread harmony through harmony and to make an ounce of the difference that you as an organization have made. Your infrastructure, the, the heart with which you create, the, the highest point of the pyramid and the base where you get as many people singing as possible, the incredible gifts of the donors who brought together this entire youth program this weekend that I'm honored to be able to be a part of. There's so much you guys are doing in big ways and in little ways. And I just want to make sure you guys know how much I respect you, how much I appreciate you, and how much I swear to you for the rest of my life. I will do my damnedest to live up to what this award means to me. Thank you.